Hello, no need to adjust your set. You are listening to Wine Blast, the podcast that brings wine to life in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways, and all without the hangover. I'm Susie Barry, and I'm joined by my husband and fellow master of wine, Peter Richards, who has been promoted. Uh, okay, right. Uh, our last in our last episode, you reached the worried? lofty heights mm. of master of brevity. Yes, because I was waffling too much. I think, you were a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this week, I'm delighted to reveal that your new role is mm. chief press reviewer. Um, well, well, yes, that? yeah. I see what you're doing there. I see where you're going. Thank you. You've teed me up very nicely. Uh, I'd appreciate that. I'll take any position I can get. Frankly, <laughs> you know, as long as as long as I'm superior in the executive hierarchy to the microphone, don't really care. Only just. <laughs> Frankly, <laughs> did not need a comment. Um, anyway, I, you know what I, what I really wanted to, to do was just flag up some nice things that people have said in the press about us, which has been absolutely lovely, hasn't it? It has. I think it's it, yeah. You're right. It's mm. fair to say we've been, we have been slightly blown away by the, the the lovely reception that this little podcast of ours has received. Mm. So mm. we just want to say a massive thanks, first of all, to everyone who is supporting us and tuning in. Uh, yeah. We yeah. we really appreciate. Yeah, it, we don't do. We? Thank you, everyone. I mean, particular yeah. and particular thanks we wanted to give to Victoria Moore, who very generously featured Wine Blast in her five best online wine activities in the Telegraph last Saturday. Mm. Without wishing to blow her on trumpets too much, she said we combine a fluent lightness of touch. That's not very fluent. It wasn't it? terribly fluent, was it? Shall I try that again? <laughs> she said we combine a fluent lightness of touch with a real dig for information. Yeah, sorry to let you down, Victoria. You know, there's only, there only ever going to be so much fluency we could deliver <laughs> in the show. Anyway, oh, with this much rubbish. wine sloshing around, you know. Um, and, but the, the, the drinks business were very kind too as well, weren't they? The lovely people there. They, they said they featured us in their best wine podcast lineup, describing us as jubilantly buoyant and upbeat. Wow. I mean, do you think we've been overdoing it? I think we might have. <laughs> listening to that. Maybe we should be a bit more sober in our tone. You know. No. No, I can't believe I That's suggested that. That's not possible, that. is it? What? Yes, I think we it can is. try. I think we could be a lot more sober, <laughs> frankly, but we probably don't want to be. Anyway, um, they very kindly said the show was certain to be a hit. Um, and they urged their readers to revel in the relatable, entertaining and light-hearted tone with marital disputes over wine given. I'm not sure where I stand on that last... Uh, do, do you think that's true? I think they're absolutely right. Oh, OK, right. Okay. What's the point of the show if we're not going to argue about wine? <laughs> Good I'll God. Just, I'll get ready. I'll, I'll go and stand in the corner, <laughs> get my tin hat on. The Evening Standard were probably a little bit uh, a bit calmer about it and yes. just featured us in their best wine podcast, which was great. And then the nice people at Club Enologique noted, this is interesting, the, the sense of community and warmth about the show. Mm. It did bring to mind something which um, a friend of ours, lovely Dimitri, wrote in an email, which he said he'd tune into the show and it was really nice, and, which was great of him. But he, he said something interesting, which I found curious. He said... The world of podcasts or, or spoken audio it has a sort of cosy feel to it. And I think that's absolutely the right word. I hadn't thought of it like that before, but yeah, because it's yeah, that no, sort of feeling of intimacy. It really it's does. quite a sort of personal thing, whether, you know, and both mm. well, obviously when you're listening, but also when you're recording yeah. in a funny way yeah. too, doesn't yeah. it? There is a sort of intimacy. And it can also be quite evocative and, and imaginative, um, like few other media can. You know, somehow that coziness suits wine. You need it. And, and you struggle Friendly. in other media. You know, we've been lucky enough to do loads of different media in our career, from, you know, TV to online to broadcast, radio to, to print books. But somehow this place, this medium just feels just feels right for wine, doesn't it? And for us, because uh, I think I've got a face for podcasts. <laughs> I think that was me, to be fair. <laughs> you know. I've always loved radio and, and uh, this kind of, um, you know, and podcasting because you just don't have to put any makeup on. Nobody not, cares. Neither do I. 
Well, you're seeing me in all my my glory as God intended. Your, your scrubbed glory. <laughs> anyway, let's actually do some proper proper yeah, podcasting let's, rather uh, let's than podcast. just, just talking about ourselves. Yeah, uh, now, a bit later in the show, we will be finding some delicious spring-like wines to go with a wild garlic and asparagus risotto, for which we will also be sharing the recipe. And uh, when we chose this, this tasty theme, mm. out of respect to our guest, who is... Roger Jones, the former chef proprietor of the Michelin-starred restaurant The Harrow at Little Bedwin in Wiltshire. Yeah, now we uh, we have discussed this on the show before, haven't we? But restaurants have been one of the hardest hit sectors as a result of the coronavirus mm. restrictions. So we wanted to get Roger's views not only on his own activities, but also his take on the future of the sector and restaurants. It's it's also important to add that Roger and his wife Sue had been planning to close the Harrow uh, before the whole coronavirus thing struck, didn't they? And yeah. I think they'd originally set a closing date of about the 28th of March, yes, early end, end of March, March yeah. um, which in the end they had to bring forward a week, didn't they? So mm. so perhaps their future planning hasn't been as impacted as dramatically as some, but he's still facing plenty of challenges. Yeah, that, and what we wanted to say before we start this is apologies for the slightly dodgy sound quality here. The, mm. the broadband is understandably uh, not what it might be in rural ways where Roger was personally taking a break from providing meals to those in need to look after his elderly mum. Yeah, Roger Jones, ex-Michelin star chef and ex-owner of the Harrow at Little Bedwin. So you're calling yourself an ex, uh, ex-Michelin star chef now, are you? Gosh, that's so recent, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, uh, well, we officially closed 28th of March, but due to the um, happening, we closed uh, slightly earlier, um, 20th of March, I think. Um, but um, we were always planning to, to finish on the 28th. So just to recap, you, you have been chef proprietor uh, together with your wife, Sue, at the Michelin starred Harrow at, at Little Bedwin for 21 years. Is that right? 21 years, three months. Wow. And um, now you had planned to shut anyway on the 28th of March. Uh, you announced that in January. But can you just tell us a little bit about how you were, how the restaurant was affected, how your last weeks were affected by the coronavirus chaos? Well, as soon as we announced our retirement, we took, um, I think, 4,000 bookings in three days. We also put in extra seats to facilitate everyone. And then towards the end, we realized, obviously with people trying to keep apart and everything else, what we were doing was completely wrong in a sense, because instead of doing 28 covers, we were doing 38. We changed the seats into smaller seats. Uh, so we just made a decision, I think 19th of March to shut before we were formally told to. Uh, so we had to turn away 400 customers. So we've got a bit of an unfinished business, but we'll, but, we'll look at them in some way. That must have been a really difficult decision to make for you. Well, no, not really. I think we had to uh, listen to what government advice was. And uh, because, you know, it, it, uh, we are, I mean, you've been to our restaurant. It is quite small. It's not a big, gracious palace. It's, it's an old inn. And um, the whole point of it was to be more like a uh, someone's house and all nice and friendly. It didn't really suit us. Uh, when we could see the issues which were happening. But you said you've, you've managed to give the staff proper redundancy pay uh, and you've also been doing other uh, interesting initiatives in the community. Could you just tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so we started doing food for the people who couldn't afford Waitrose and uh, other um, paid things. I think we started that first week in March. So it's basically uh, little meal boxes, everything inside it, already cooked, delivered fresh or frozen, and it just needs to be heated up in the microwave or stirred in a pan because a lot of the people we're looking after probably may not use microwaves because they're quite elderly. Um, so you can just turn it out to the container and stir it and it's ready to eat. And so this takeaway model, that's a bit of a departure for you. How, how have you made that happen? 
Well, yeah, it's like, so obviously this, this whole thing is free to, to anyone who needs it, as long as they're in need. I, mean, I know the first week we were delivering, and when I saw six cars outside this rather large mansion, um, I sort of said to them, do you really need this? And they said, yes, because my husband's gone out to the vet to, uh, with a dog to see the vet, and I haven't had time to go to the waitress today. So those aren't the people we're trying to look after. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm still doing sort of acid of food. So I mean, there's monkfish and lobster, the tarkadal we were doing, there's uh, wild mushroom truffle risotto. Um, so, and a lot of these people have probably never had these things before, so they're quite uh, glad to try um, some, some different food. That sounds absolutely amazing. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope that people are enjoying it. I'm sure they are. Just um, focusing a little bit broader, obviously the restaurant trade is being really hard hit, the on-trade generally at the moment. Um, how do you see the future for, for the restaurant trade? I think what we see now is that so many restaurants were on the brink and it's just really pushed them over. Um, so a lot of these restaurants were either working on the summer season or I'm not sure what, but I mean, it, it is quite drastic where people within a week were, were feeling the pinch. So things will be different. And I think the other thing is once people have started making their own bread, ordering great wines at home, cooking at home, they'll, and how much money they're saving, they will seriously look at, do we actually need to go out to eat tonight? Can't we, you know, save some money? And I think a lot of people who, who are at home, of course, a lot of people aren't earning anything, but they are saving money by not going out to restaurants. Do you not um, think there'll be a there'll there'll be a uh, sort of the opposite of that might be people are so desperate to go back out to start enjoying themselves that they just sort of go for it and, and there's a massive blitz. Well, I, I think possibly, but obviously, when it's all over, it it won't be joyful for everyone, and it may not be a time to celebrate. Yeah, and I think absolutely. people will be more restrained in, in in that. But I think yeah, I think pubs will do very well. People will be rushing down to the pub to have a, a couple of pints and that sort of thing. But going out to spend a couple of hundred pounds on dinner you know, is something which people may be more discreet about. Yeah. Now, although you, you, you're closing, you closed the, the Harrow, um, you were talking about doing some things in the meantime uh, or, or afterwards. So you talked about hosting some mini dinners with some vertical uh, wine tastings. Yeah, so obviously we've got a big cellar and uh, that hasn't reduced at all in the last few years, even though we had in mind we were going to close, but uh, I kept buying and buying and buying. So we've got some great verticals, which we really haven't had the chance to do them before. I've always wanted to keep that bottle of 73 Cousin Hune or the 82 Crew. There's not much reason to keep them anymore because we're not a, a restaurant as such. So I think hosting a dinner for, or a lunch with a vertical of Cousin Hune back to 73 or, you know, 30 different vintages of Crew would be quite a fun and profitable day for me and give people a chance to try uh, these sort of wines. Sounds amazing. Please uh, just tell us where to sign up when you when you uh, release those. Um, you said you've also been busy uh, with your your mum, uh, looking after your mum down in, in Wales recently. It's quite difficult because obviously with what's happening, we're not really allowed to travel. But my mum was widowed last year. She's got dementia. So what we're doing is I've got two sisters, luckily. So we're doing 14 days in isolation first. And then we're coming down here for 14 days and swapping over. So we'll be doing that for the next three months. Uh, so for us, it's just total isolation in a sense. Well, it sounds amazing. You're doing an ama amazing uh, job there, and I'm sure your mum really, really appreciates it. You actually mentioned that um, she'd, she'd uh, welcomed, she'd be very happy with the wine that you brought with you. Yes, because my sisters don't bring good wines. I think they, they, they shop in the wrong places. Uh, so she, <laughs> she does 
notice if it's not proper sparkling wine. And uh, certainly Good she doesn't like Prosecco. She loves, you know, Hattingley Rosé is one of the favourites and um, uh, Gosset Rosé as well. But, uh, so she yeah. likes, she likes, she likes she a quality sparkling wine. Sure, it sounds like it, I'm sure. Is that where yes, you get it from? Yes. I don't know. Um, Roger, thank you so much. But I'm, I've got a last question for you, uh, which you may have already thought about, but what is your ideal quarantine wine? Ah, um, well, I'd have to go for Spanish Antidonia because it's only 10.5 alcohol, so you can drink it all day from morning to tonight without being too silly. Sounds delicious. Any particular vintages? Yeah, so on the white, 64 whites is at its peak now, drinking perfectly. Um, I did have a, a 47 red uh, the other night with my son, and that was absolutely delicious, but I haven't got many left of that. So we'll have to move on to the 54. <laughs> Roger, that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Thank you very much. Tondonia 1947. I am drooling just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. Did you know, I love, I actually love the way asking this particular question about quarantine wine gives you a kind of an insight into people's drinking habits. Yeah, you know, you're right. It's it's um, it's almost like sort of getting to know people's innermost secret thoughts. We have we have permission to do that because mm. of coronavirus suddenly, and we can ask <laughs> these weird questions. But it's it's almost like the parallel would be you know the, the way we we are we have been able to see inside people's homes. You know, with the advent you're of everyone right, doing with, with online Zoom. exactly yeah, online video calls. Yeah, you, know, you see ordinary life in the background in a way that you know you never would normally. And, I know. and sometimes, to be honest, it's, life is not that ordinary in the background, is it? Well, ours is pretty ordinary. I mean, I think <laughs> I keep thinking we should get the kids. To draw some sort of amazing realistic backdrop or a, of an infinity wine cellar or yeah, something yeah, we could, yes. art for the zoom nice generation <laughs> anyway moving on uh, it's about time we cooked and drank something mm. isn't it uh, yeah we wanted to um we wanted to celebrate the springtime yeah well, um and then uh, you know springtime it's springtime in the northern hemisphere let's not forget our brethren in the southern hemisphere as well we're reaching out to them yep. too so so maybe for you guys just use your imagination a bit and and keep this recipe in mind for six months time yeah like because this recipe which you can find on our website Mm. is delicious. It's a wild garlic and asparagus risotto. So we wanted to, to make this risotto partly because it is a lovely dish for spring, but mainly because we have finally found a stash of wild garlic near our home. We've been mm. looking for ages and we have finally, finally found it. And given we've got a Michelin-starred chef on mm -hmm. the show... It just seemed right, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No brainer. Let's start by giving credit where credit's due. Uh, you know, our first wild garlic foraging experience uh, was with TV's Andy Clark, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it was indeed. Yeah, our lovely Bristol. friend from Bristol, uh, who we got to know uh, ages ago. You know, as a long-time producer on Saturday Kitchen, mm -hmm. we worked with him for many, many years. He's a massive foodie and wine lover, uh, who we adore. And he took us out on his estate, didn't he? His estate. Well, it is. You know, it's the, it's the wood opposite wood. his house, really. Um, <laughs> He took us there to pick wild garlic a few years ago, didn't he? And, and um, it was just amazing. Oh, it was. It was incredible. Now, now, if you... Uh, talking of um, Saturday Kitchen, I remember first getting a recipe and it's saying wild garlic. Mm. And I hadn't got a clue what wild garlic was. So I was kind of going into, into the supermarket looking for this bulb of... Some sort of mm. bulb of garlic... It's not like that. So anybody listening who you think, I don't know what wild garlic is. Essentially, wild garlic is a leaf. So it's like a long leaf, about six to eight inches long. And its widest point, it's about two inches wide. It's pretty dark green. And it looks a bit like, if you know this, a lily of the valley leaf. But it 
the way to know that it's garlic and not lily of the valley, which is actually poisonous, mm. is the smell. If you walk through wild garlic, it just... Oh, the fragrance of garlic is unbelievable. It is, isn't it? And, or if not, you can just crush the leaf and it Absolutely. definitely smells like garlic. Absolutely. You know, you know, it's, it's proper, do you know what its proper posh name is? Go on. Um, Allium ursinum. Oh, uh, and it's also brilliant. known as ransoms or bear's garlic, devil's garlic, like that one, uh, gypsy's onions. Mm. And, and finally, my, this is my favourite, stinking Jenny. Why Jenny. I don't know, what's what Jenny ever done to anyone? Poor Jenny. I oh, know, it's not particularly bad. Anyway, it's oh. often found, apparently, in, I've been on the RHS website. Yeah, no, I was going to say, where, where do we find it? Because I can't <laughs> yeah. work out where, you no, know, I, I know where, I've, where we have found it, but it, you know, what makes it a, a wild I think garlic it's, it's basically damp woodlands. So it's often woodlands uh, okay. where it's a little bit damp, often rivers, ditches, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Which is exactly what we did find yeah, it. Just, just to be clear, we are not experts in this and we will not uh, take any responsibility for anyone poisoned by Lily the Valley, which is very similar. Uh, smell the leaves first people yeah smell the leaves smell smell the garlic but the garlic is Wake well up and worth smell finding. the garlic so wild garlic we decided uh this dish was was perfect for today yeah. uh, and it's very much like to describe it slightly it's it's very much a, a spring green dish so you've got in there asparagus peas i also put in some edamame and i know they're not really spring greens but i just love edamame beans um, and then what we do the wild garlic is make it into a pesto wild garlic mixed up with some uh, parmesan it's very simple pesto parmesan pine nuts you don't need to add extra garlic obviously a bit of lemon juice uh, salt and pepper and olive oil and it just you just stir that through at the end of the risotto so we're going to put this recipe on on the website mm. but it just is the whole thing looks green tastes green what wines are going to go with that? Well, exactly. Sauvignon Blanc. That's where our first thoughts first thought, headed. Absolutely. And frankly, that was that was good enough for us because we love Sauvignon in this household. Not everyone does, but we do mm. in all its different styles. So we thought, let's try some Sauvignons and something else out as well. So the first one we got is New Zealand Sauvignon. We, yeah. do, we are suckers for New Zealand we Sauvignon. We are. We love right? it. And not everybody does, but we, we do love no. it. And what we went for was just a classic, um, straightforward New Zealand Sauvignon. It's the Mudhouse Sauvignon. Um, at the moment, it's it's on offer at Waitrose from 9 50 down to six ninety nine. Um, and it, interestingly enough, I think... It's we, pretty we cheap, both, actually, though, isn't it? We, it, it really isn't very expensive at all. Mm. And to be fair, when, when we both first tasted this wine, we kind of went, mm, it's mm. all right. It's all right. It doesn't leave but, glass, does it? But it's that... Subtlety of it, and then it's refreshing, kind of lemony zestiness that just works so well. Yeah, I think the acidity, the quality of the the brightness of the acidity, that freshness and the crunchy green flavors, um, they just work really well. It's kind of it's not Mm. a wine that shouts too much and doesn't dominate the dish. It just sits happily alongside the dish. But equally, the dish, however vibrant it is, you know, it's not not ridiculously um, powerful in its flavors. So what you've no, got are these lovely no, yeah. asparagus is quite hard to match, as, as many of us know. Um, and Sauvignon works very well with it. And this it was definitely proved here. Do you want a little factoid about New Zealand wine? Go on. Right, so, uh, well, New I, Zealand... well, I chew my um, <laughs> yeah, asparagus well, risotto. Just give you time to get that Wild down. garlic risotto. Um, New Zealand makes less than 1% of the world's wine output. You wouldn't mm. think that, though, looking at the shelves, would you? Mind you, we take a lot. And 86% of New Zealand's wine exports are Sauvignon Blanc. Are they really? Yeah. Good I mean, Lord. as we know, you know, they yeah. make fantastic uh, sh- Chardonnay oh, these days. We, yeah, it's been, lovely, especially lovely these days, it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Pinot Noir, Syrah yeah. and Riesling, lots of other things. But but Sauvignon still, still um, leads the dominates. Way. Yeah. And actually, there are some, some lovely ones. And, and yeah. they can be quite good food wines, though, can't they? Very, well, very much so. I would say they, they really are. Yeah. And, but that, that, um, you the know. Mudhouse was your favourite, I think. Of the lineup, we've got three wines here, actually, haven't we? Uh, and just as a pure match where you've got the sum of the parts, well, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts of mm. its parts. 
this was the wine for me. Yeah. But we did like, uh, you know, there were other wines that were... We did. So we also too. wanted to try out something different. So we went for a Bacchus, uh, the Bacchus grape variety, an English speciality. This one is the Chapel Down Bacchus 2018, which I think is about um, £15 roughly at, at Wenchos. Yeah, shows. yeah, yeah. Um, because we thought Bacchus is quite... So often people liken it to Sauvignon Blanc. They do, they? they do. I mean, it's interesting with Bacchus because um, they, it is likened to Sauvignon Blanc for its sort of punchy pea shoot zestiness but actually um it was it was first bred in germany in the 1930s and it's a cross and one of the parents is is riesling and what you get with bacchus often is that a little bit of, of a floral note as well as the sauvignon characters mm. you get that floral it's note a bit elderflower, as well. isn't it? It bit is. elderflower a bit like a you know english summer day uh, yeah it is in a funny way even though it's, it's obviously german originally um you know but it it's it's coming into its own a little bit, isn't mm. it? It's the fourth most planted variety after the sparkling wine varieties, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, yeah, and Meunier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it's. I think we're only just starting to see what Bacchus can do in this country. I think you're absolutely right, and you know, people are starting to oak it. So there's many things that we could see coming out of Bacchus at the moment. A classic Bacchus is pretty much like a floral Sauvignon Blanc, isn't mm. it? Mm. But there's lots of stuff happening with oaking it and yeah. you know all and sorts it's, it's of not aging cheap. it. You know, good English wine's not cheap, and so that yeah. is you know more expensive now than than that but, Sauvignon Blanc. But, but I would say top tip here: this is 2018, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Great so. vintage for English still wines in the sense that it was warmer, so the grapes got riper. And you know, when when people were successful in the 2018 vintage. This is the kind of wine they made. Absolutely. So moving on to my favourite now. Oh, yes, here we go. <laughs> You're not a cheap date, are you? I am you? not. So this is the Dog Point Vineyard, Section 94 Sauvignon Blanc. This is this is interestingly 2009 vintage. We've had this in the cellar for, for, for ages. And we pulled it out and thought, is this going to be a bit old Sauvignon Blanc? I mean, you opened this, didn't you? I tasted it not knowing what vintage it was. And I can't believe that. Ah, what, 11 years old. So we should do this is back to New Zealand. So sorry, we're back to Marlborough in New Zealand. This Dog Point are kind of new wave uh, Marlborough. Kiwi Sauvignon Blanc. They make stars of Sauvignon, which are a bit more kind of uh, flinty, you know, subtle, foody, savoury. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Really, really lovely. And this is their oaked version. Um, and it's so section ninety four. It's stunning. about twenty five pounds, isn't it? Yeah, we it's put, not again, cheap, but I think it's, that's amazing value in the context of, of yeah. the, that sort of quality. Now, um, I felt with this risotto, it was just it, the wine almost slightly overpowered it. It doesn't not go. But it's not just a seamless match because I think the wine has got so much personality. If you like wines that in the wine world we call reductive, but essentially that means smoky, flinty, a bit like you've struck a match. If you like that kind of character, which is what which this wine do. has, yeah. it's an amazing wine. But it's almost too amazing for for a yeah. a, a spring risotto. Well, not not in, not in my world. I, I want the more flavour, the better for me. I'm a hedonist, as you know. <laughs> Full um, on and flavor. I thought I thought that the flavours just added to this wonderful um, explosion in in your mouth with with the risotto. And I thought it was absolutely difficult, difficult, uh, absolutely delicious. Delicious was, was the word you're looking not for. Absolutely difficult. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. me. Um, but interestingly, we've just heard from Ivan Sutherland, haven't we, the owner yeah. of, of Dogpoint, so saying it. that 2020 has been Have the most said... amazing vintage in New Zealand. Uh, despite the coronavirus um, challenges, they've had one of the best vintages ever. So it'll be really interesting to taste the wines in 2020 from New Zealand. We have also just tasted, though, their, their latest releases, which were the 2017s. And the 2017 Section 94 Sauvignon Blanc, which is what's currently on release, is absolutely delicious too. Have we, have we said that Ivan and, and his guests 
gang were Cloudy Bay winemakers. We haven't. But so I'm point. sure everybody uh, will be familiar with Cloudy Bay. So mm. they they have a great pedigree and they make some stunning wines. So if you're looking for great New Zealand wines to have a go yeah, at, a great range, um, we'll, Dog we'll Point, amazing. Right, we're going to finish on one, one point. Can I, can I just say something? Two things. Go on. Firstly, did you know that wild garlic uh, helps reduce blood pressure? I like it even more. I'm telling you that now for for a very specific reason, which is I also found out something else about wild garlic. Go on. Well, when you go on the RHS website, their first sentence, we we love wild garlic, don't we? We got so excited for it. (laughs) I think everybody knows that now. (laughs) Wild garlic is a bulbous plant native to Britain that can be problematic in gardens. Really? Yeah, no, I thought problematic. What are you talking about? It's not problematic say, in our garden. If we had any. Let me come. Their persistent bulbs and spreading habits make them a problem in most gardens. And it then goes on to how to, how to control them with weed killers and stuff. Now, um, I'm not sure I've told you this, but I have actually planted some garlic in our garden. You haven't. Yeah. I don't know whether to be happy or, or, or cross about that now. <laughs> I so just, are we just going to, I'm going to, having gone yeah. from no wild garlic and saying I really want to find wild garlic, I'm going to look out one morning and just see a sea of wild garlic, aren't I? I really, with the, with I the really, aromas wafting, wafting through the window. When you said you liked it, I, I really, really hope you, you like it a lot. Great. <laughs> well, we just have to fill the house for Sauvignon Blanc. Not a problem. So with the taste and flavours of wild garlic and Sauvignon Blanc wafting around... Yeah, I'm not, not sure how attractive that is. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're all friends. Um, we will say a fond farewell. Uh, you can find the recipe on our website, susieandpeter.com, as well as details of all the wines and lots of other bits and bobs. If you have a wine question you'd like answered, you can star on our show. Mm. Just head to our website, record a brief message via the, the big orange speak pipe button and fire it over. Or, of course, you can join in the conversation on social media via Instagram and Twitter. If you like what you've heard and we hope you do, please do subscribe. Thank you for listening and cheers.